So if they do their due diligence correctly, that is not an issue. If they don't, yes, it is difficult for them to get patients, but the number one difficulty is not even so much getting patients, it's retaining them. Welcome to the Wealth Navigator podcast, where you go behind the scenes with certified financial planner and portfolio manager, Richard Dree. You'll hear stories of how successful entrepreneurs navigated the unique opportunities and challenges facing their businesses and get tips from leading business consultants on how to break through to the next level in your business. And here's your host, Richard Dree. Hello, it's Richard Dree and welcome to the Richard Dree Wealth Navigator podcast, where my mission is to motivate entrepreneurs to become financially literate and to convert their high income into true wealth. With wealth, the entrepreneur can build a business free of financial constraints. They can focus on their customers, their family, and their health. My guest today is Angie Drenick, the founder and owner of DentSense, a dental coaching office in Toronto's West End. Angie incorporated her company more than 25 years ago, and today her firm focuses on the challenges of operating a successful and profitable dental practice. She handles appointment cancellation issues, social media, team training, and many other issues that dentists confront. And her and her team provide a customized plan to help the dentist achieve and overcome these particular obstacles. Angie also explains how she uses seminars to obtain clients, i.e. dentists, for her own firm. And she defines the roles of each person on her team and she describes the typical dentist engagement. Angie also provides examples on how a dentist can obtain new patients by either asking properly for referrals or by suggesting that patients with children take pictures of their children on the dental chair or in the dental chair and post those pictures on their own social media sites. We also discuss the right way and the wrong way to announce the reopening of a dental practice after the pandemic closure. And Angie highlights some of the common mistakes that dentists are making today while they're being temporarily closed because of the pandemic. We discuss how her and her husband handle wealth, which involves surprisingly both stocks and real estate. Be sure to listen to the end where Angie provides advice to new dentists who are looking to buy an existing practice or those dentists that are looking to start a brand new office. She also provides advice for anyone who is looking to start their own coaching business. And remember, she has over 25 years of experience in running her own business. And she also provides valuable advice for anyone who is looking to start their own coaching business. And with that introduction, I hope you enjoy my podcast, with Angie Drenick. Welcome, Angie Drenick, to the Wealth Navigator podcast. Thank you for being here, Angie. Thank you for having me. Well, we've, uh, we've worked on booking an appointment together uh, for quite some time, so I'm really happy to have you on today. Now, Angie, you've been incorporated for more than 25 years. Uh, that's a long time to be self-employed. What made you become a self-employed individual, why didn't you just work for a big company and uh, have the stability, have the regular income, have the pension? Why did you decide to go out on your own? Well, it's an interesting story. I was actually forced into it. What happened is I originally am from Mexico. I was schooled in California and grew up in California. 
I went to, I got my bachelor's there and I went to Western State College of Law. I decided after attending law school, I did not want to take my bar exam because I wouldn't make a very good lawyer. Usually lawyers are supposed to, you know, help you get out of a bind that you're in. Unfortunately, I'm of the school of thought that if you did the crime, you should do the time. That doesn't make for a very good lawyer. So I decided that wasn't the way to go. Then I immigrated into Canada back in the early 90s. When I immigrated into Canada, even though I had all this experience of working in large corporations, dental corporations, because the what we call there the mom-pop dental offices, meaning that it's owned by just one dentist, were pretty much non-existing. Everything was corporate. Very few offices were small office owned. And what I did when I came here, I tried to get a job. I could not find a job to save my life. I kept sending out resumes. I kept going to interviews. And the number one thing that everybody would say to me is that you don't have any Canadian experience. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But I have all this management and leadership background. How could you not be able to use me? And what I decided that since I could not find a job, I would create job. So in the last 26 years or so that you've been self-employed, you've incorporated a company called Dent Sense. Yes. What are the main services that the company offers? We offer coaching. And what we do, but we come from a completely different perspective. One of the things that I do not like to call myself is a consultant, even though I fall under that category. And the reason that I don't like it, it's because it seems like a lot of people just put on that, you know, title of consultant and therefore they think they they're, have some sort of experience in what they're doing. So I like more of the coaching aspect because I kind of coach dentists their teams to go into what they want to achieve, into what their goals are, instead of uh, putting it as a cookie cutter approach, asking them to do what I think is best for them. I sit down, I go through an interview, go through a five-year plan, and then I work backwards. Also, I focus on the behavior of patients, team, and the doctor. I'm in the process of getting my cognitive behavior therapy certificate. And in that, I focus on the psychology. In other words, how can we best make that our patients, not only are our loyal patients, but they are our most loyal promoting patients. Now, does a dentist have trouble getting new patients? I always assume that if a dentist opened up an office, they would eventually over... I don't know, a short period of time, be relatively successful. Is that not true for dentists? It depends. It depends on the location. It depends on the personality. It depends on the focus that the office has. I have seen offices that have opened and have sold promptly after opening because they're not doing their due diligence of making sure that they're opening in an area that's not oversaturated. Even though we see pretty much in every plaza, we see a dentist, there's still areas that are not oversaturated. So if they do their due diligence correctly, that is not an issue. If they don't, yes, it is difficult for them 
to get patients, but the number one difficulty is not even so much getting patients, it's retaining them. So it's interesting, even uh, if you do become a professional or a doctor as a dentist, you still have to be able to run your own business. Yeah. You still have to have the right location, which is very common. You still have to have the right attitude. You have to know how to treat your team. You need to know how to pay your expenses on time or to manage the expenses. So it still comes down to a business. Absolutely. Now, Angie, you run your business. Tell me a little bit about how you run your team. How, how many people are, are working with you? What are some of the challenges that you see as a coach? What worries you in the morning when you wake up? Well, right now we are a small, you know, we're not a large uh, venue. We have three people. We have our videographer. We have another dentist that works with me and we do coaching as far as coming into offices. So we, we serve a variety of, of platforms. One of my, uh, the dentist that works with me, Dr. Palak, she focuses on the social media part of it. She is a millennial. So I always say that we should go to the experts when we want to do something that we're not necessarily experts are. I, I'm a little more older. So even though I do a lot on social media, this is where she grew up doing. So this is what she focuses on. Then we have Tristan who focuses on the video part of it. He focuses on getting them all their platforms, everything that they're putting out in social media in a very professional manner. Because unfortunately, a lot of dentists are putting up stuff on social media. And this would be the perfect example. I see them putting pictures of tooth removal or an extraction, and it's all bloody and yucky. And I, my question to them is, who are we trying to attract? Your patients don't want to see that. So that's what I do. First thing in the morning, we decide... What is our focus today? What we're going to focus on? Are we focusing on social media? And we all have it on a schedule. So I follow what I preach. Now, how many doctors do you deal with at one time? Is it a capacity issue? Do you deal with one at a time or do you uh, multiple doctors at, a, at the same time? Multiple doctors at the same time, depending on what schedules they are on. The most clients that I have had during my coaching career has been up to 25. At the same time. Wow. That's yes. At the same time, but they're not seen every day. So there's a format to it. There's a, a skill. At one point, I had one company that owned 10 offices in Reno, Nevada. So uh, I would take 10 days to train one day after another. So they're not trained every day. This is all in sporadic and different type of days. So one day may be dedicated to one doctor and there are 30 days in the month. So they get all my attention. So I've got two questions on that. Number one is how do you get doctors to become your client? Usually uh, the way that I do it is through seminars. One of the seminars that I currently have that is with Patterson. I teamed up with Patterson Dental and I put on seminars for them. And the seminar is called Stop Cancellations. So usually Patterson charges them a minimal fee, which is for the beverages and the meal that they will have. And it's about a two, two hour and a half seminar. During that seminar, 
I give them a brief introduction about how to stop cancellations and no-shows in their offices based on them watching me speak and seeing the type of material that I offer, that's when I get clients out of that. And I'm the type of person that when I give these seminars, it's not an infomercial. It's about powerful information that they can take home or to their office and automatically deliver. And do you run those those seminars around the country or around North America? Because I've noticed you- Around North America. So are you traveling a lot uh, back and forth between Canada? I guess not today, but before the pandemic? Not as much anymore. I would say in 2016, 17, I was on a plane pretty much almost every other day. So how do you charge for your services? So they come to this seminar, they get an idea of what, what you offer, how you can help them. Then I guess they contact you or you contact them. What type of arrange, financial arrangement do you provide them? They usually contact me. And maybe that's a mistake or not. I don't know yet. But I don't like to over-exhaust my patients with bombarding them with emails or, or calling them. I only give them what they request. So if a doctor asks for information, I'll be more than happy to provide it. Once they've decided that I'm the person they want to go with, they get charged on a monthly basis. Instead of having one jumbo fee, they get charged on their credit card. And they're usually, I have contracts that are three months long, six months long, and a year long. And I've been pretty lucky. I have quite a few clients that were, some of them were into our third and fourth year. So what's the ideal outcome? A doctor calls your company, DentSense, and says, okay, do what you have to do. What would be the ideal outcome of your engagement with that particular office? Usually what I like to say is we go through our dating stage. And the dating stage is when we negotiate the contract. And I always try to customize it to what they want. But usually sometimes they have questions or they want things added or removed. So we go back and forth until we're both, till both parties are happy. Once both parties are happy, we start. My first day usually is for me to come into the office and I put on my scrubs. And that is something that no other coach is doing out there. I will put on my scrubs. I will wash instruments. I will answer phones. I will assist. I will become part of the team. And there's a reason, there's the psychology behind that. The reason that I do that is that I want to make sure there's a buy-in by the team. If I don't have the buy-in by the team, then they're not going to listen to a thing that I have to say. But I immerse myself and become part of the team and I do everything with them, get right down there, down and dirty with them, then there's a buy-in. Then they want to listen to me. Now they've become a quote-unquote friend or a friendly face or a friendly voice. And once we do that, then with along with the doctor, now I'm observing as I'm doing this because this gives me the opportunity also for them to let their guard down and really become who they are, be natural so that they're not putting on a face or pretending they're being somebody they're not because somebody's observing them. So once I see exactly where they're coming from and what the needs or the opportunities to improve are, then along with the doctor, 
we put together the plan for the training the next day. The next day, the doctor closes the office and we train all the dentists, the hygienists, the whole team, and we shut down and we work on all the opportunities to improve. What do you offer them in terms of training? So you shut down for a whole day. I guess you have the hygienist, you have the receptionist, potentially, you have the the dentist. What do you do with them? What do you go through with? Well, once we've extracted all the information from the day before, let's just say for the sake of argument that I see that a lot of patients are leaving the office, but they're not booking their next appointment. So I want to focus on that. Let's say that that's just one of the opportunities that I'm looking at. So I start observing why is it that most patients are walking away without an appointment. And when I see that the front desk administration team, what they're asking the patient as they come out, they'll ask questions like this. So Mrs. Smith, great. How was your appointment today? Oh, it was good. So do you want to book an appointment for your next visit? That's the number one no-no. We never ask, do you want to? We never ask questions in which they can ask or answer with a yes or a no. I would train them to ask in this format. So Mrs. Smith, how was your appointment today? That's fantastic. So I have an opening available for you on your next visit, which the doctor wants to see you or the hygienist wants to see you in six months. I have a Tuesday at two o'clock on May 21st or I have a Thursday on May 25th, which one would work best for you? So these are the type of things I train them in. And do you extend that type of advice to social media? Is that what your videographer does and your, um, your dentist? Yes. So you put together a social media campaign for the dentist? Yes. And, and what I like to do is we put together a course for them to learn how to do their social media properly. I don't want to hold anybody hostage. I don't want them to not be able to progress unless I'm in the office. I want to teach them to fish instead of me providing the fish for them all the time. I want them to be successful on their own. If I can be there to coach them and they need more coaching in the future, I'm always happy to do. But my main focus is to be able to teach them how to fly and be successful on their own. Now, what about the marketing? Like if they have to continue marketing, whether it be the um, social media approach or the digital marketing approach or the old fashioned way through mailers, do you get involved with that as well? Absolutely. If they need that type of support, we support them in that as well. And again, what I usually like to do is hat train one of their own team members how to do it. And what they usually do, the clients that come back to me again and again, it's usually because they're hiring new team members because we've done such a great job of training their existing ones. So they come back and say, look, we're expanding. We're buying this. We need you to come and train our new team members on what to do. But usually we pick along with the doctors, somebody to take care of that type of marketing. If they need assistance during a campaign, we're there for them. But they pretty much have been trained very well after we leave. So you're not there for a long time. You're there for a a, a brief engagement, get them to, to start these good practices, and then you allow them to continue those practices going forward. So there, it, what would you say the, the average 
engagement is? Uh, three months, six months? The average engagement, believe it or not, is a year. I, I have a few of them that actually only go for three or six, but I do have a few of them because they just want to focus on a few things. They don't want to focus on too many. I have a client that I had in Kitchener and this client, she wanted to focus on her associate. Her associate was not busy enough. So she wanted me to come in and help them. We came in and did a full training. We did three months of training. And once we were done, this was after only the first training. So we didn't even have to come back into our second or third training for them to get results. They went from the doctor having maybe a week's wait to see her. The associate had, there there was no wait. You could see her at any time. She Her schedule was very sporadic. And the hygienist had about a week's wait. Now, after our training, the doctor had about a, almost a month wait to see her because she was so busy. Her associate had two weeks worth of wait and their hygienist, they had to hire two more hygienists. They just got so incredibly busy. And and what was the secret formula there? What, what, what do you uh, allocate the reasoning for that? That sounds like an unbelievable success. I have that success pretty much with all my offices. They, 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 see a huge rate of return. And the reason they see that is just in the shifting of the behavior, the behavior of the team members, because I- Could you give us an example of that? I have them focus on the lead measures opposed to the lag measures. Now, what do I mean by that? The lag measures are that which we, most companies focus on. We focus on everything that already passed everything that we have no control over. In other words, we focus on how did we do on our marketing campaign last month? How was the production? How was the collections? How was the new patients? All these numbers of which we have no control over because that's past. It's done. So instead of focusing on our lead measures, lead measures would be a plan. How are we going to move the results of the lag measures? In other words, we focus on too many things instead of focusing on lessons. We focus, I teach them about the wig, the wildly important goal. And usually I ask the doctors, pick one or two things that are the most important thing in your practice. Now that you've picked it along with your team, now we're going to create a target board. We're going to create a target board that's going to focus on what you want to improve. But this target board is going to be made by the team for the team. So in other words, they're the ones creating it. They're the ones that are going to hold you, the owner, to account so that this happens. And this is the reward that you're going to set up for them. So once there's engagement, it's kind of like a basketball team. If you see a basketball you know, team that kind of unprompt basketball team that comes together at a park. If you have a friendly game that's not keeping score, it's pretty okay. It's pretty relaxed. But once they start keeping score, the whole thing changes. There's more engagement on both sides of the team because now there's a winner and a loser. When you create a winnable game, now there is engagement. So that's what I teach the dentist. I teach them how to create a winnable game created by the team for the team through target boards, 
through different types of formulas that we give them so that the team can now have an cadence of accountability and they're accountable to each other, not so much to the owner. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think uh, all businesses have, as you call it, a target board uh, or a dashboard or, or some of the key measures that they have to sort of keep in mind. And uh, you're right, looking forward rather than looking backwards are pro- is probably a very good idea. Now, could you give us an example of what you would put on that target board or not you, but what the team would put on there? What would be one of the measures that they would be trying to achieve and, and to improve on? New patients. Let's just say, you know, that's one. They say, you know what? We want to focus. We want to get new patients. Fantastic. Now we're going to get new patients. How are we going to get those? What are we going to do? And so now you get the team involved. What are we going to do? Now, the thing that I usually suggest, number one, is having your morning opportunity meetings or your morning meetings, because that is one thing that it lacks a lot in many offices. The dentist either doesn't have the time, doesn't want to participate, doesn't find creative ways to be there. You have a lot of dentists, female dentists that have children. And they say, you know, I can't be there first thing in the morning because I got to get my children off to school. So usually they have the hygiene team start by themselves. And then the doctor comes in at the end of that appointment to do the exam. So I always say find creative ways. And the team usually comes up with, you know, you can get on the phone. You can get on a Zoom call. You can get while you're getting your team ready. You can do all this on your mobile. And what they do is once they've done the morning meeting, say, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to pick from the schedule two people, two people that we're going to ask for referrals. And what I usually say, if you're going to ask those two people that you're going to pick, pick the ones that you have the best relationship with. And whoever has the best relationship with them, have that person ask. And don't ask if they had a painful appointment. Ask if they had a great experience that day. So make sure that you have a couple of backups. And then I teach them exactly how to ask, which would be in this format. So Mrs. Smith, how was your appointment today? Oh, it was great. Thank you so much. Fantastic. So Mrs. Smith, when we saw you on the schedule today, we were so excited to see you. Because we just love seeing you. And we wish that all our patients were as nice and caring as you are. So, Mrs. Smith, can we ask you for a favor? Absolutely. Go ahead. We're growing our practice. So, if you know anybody in your family, your neighbors, or your friends that are just as wonderful as you are, would you mind sending them our way? Absolutely. Fantastic. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a couple of cards in your little goodie bag so that you can have those cards whenever any of your friends, family, or neighbors ask you, or even if they don't, we'd really appreciate you sending them our way. So that would be the way that I would train them. In other words, not wait to get patients to send you referrals. Ask for them, but ask in a proper way and in the proper time. I have never been asked for a referral from a dentist before. There you go. Uh, so uh, obviously that's, <laughs> you're right. There's an opening there. Uh, how many people that have been asked give a referral? Have you tracked that number? Yes, absolutely. 
the highest amount of new patients come from referrals. And the most loyal patients come from referrals. And there's not, there's ways to ask, not only when you're asking while they're sitting there in person, but even on social media. And here's a great tip for your listeners. We put, uh, some people are doing fantastic about keeping active on social media and everything. Now, the other day, I saw a friend of mine who put on a picture of her little boy. It was his first visit to the dentist. She took pictures of him. She was so proud that there was no cavities on and so forth. But I have no idea what dentist he went to. She only took pictures. So I thought to myself, what a missed opportunity because this is exactly what I teach. Make sure that the parents that are there with children, especially if it's a first visit or if it's just celebrating that they have no cavities, have the parents take pictures, not you. Have the parent take pictures if they're on social media. Ask them, say, Mrs. Smith, would you like to take pictures of Junior and celebrate that he has no cavities? So always have signs prepared that have your logo and that say no cavities or congratulations. There's so many signs that you can come up with. And again, get your team involved. There's a lot of creativity in your team. Once you've had them take that picture or their phone, putting it on their social media, you're going to ask them to tag you, to tag your business. In other words, the difference is that when you take a picture of that and you post it on social media, the only people that are going to see that are the people that are following you. So if you have 300 or if you have 60 people or whatever amount of people that you have following you are the only ones that will see little Johnny. But if this mother has 3,000 followers because she shows people how to cook or whatever the reason, some people are just incredibly social and they have a lot of people following them or friends. Now you just promoted your office to 3,000 people and you didn't pay one penny. Also, now it's the legal side of it. It also keeps you out of legal hot water. Because you're not putting a picture of a child without getting written consent from the parent. They're doing it and they're sharing it with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, allow me to switch the, um, the discussion a little bit. We're now in the middle or perhaps in the middle. I guess we don't know where we are in terms of the, the pandemic scenario. But we've in Ontario, we've been shut down and, and dentists have been shut down as well. I, I understand they're starting to come back or reopen. What do you suggest the dentist do at the moment as they reopen? Is, is there something that you're promoting or, at, or not promoting, but suggesting that they do in order to get people to come back? Yes, absolutely. The number one thing that I've seen is that it seems like a lot of dentists, you know, have been busy on social media and they've been, you know, either giving advice on and so forth, which is fantastic. You know, they, we get to know them, but usually the only people that are watching this are other dentists or other professionals. We want to focus on the patients. This is the time to pick up the phone and call your patients. Literally pick up the phone and call each one of your patients, not to 
book them, not to promote your practice, to see, are they okay? Are you okay? Is there anything that I can do for you? Is there anything that's, that I can assist you with? Are you, do you have any questions? The relationship that's built out of that is astronomical because right now there's such a disarray on where they're going to go. One of the things that I saw a lot also is a lot of dentists posting on social media, the word close, close, big sign, close, close for the pandemic, close for COVID-19. We want to get away from what I call trigger words. And trigger words are things that trigger the person's psyche into negative spin. So we want to put words like we're changing. We're changing our hours right now. We're temporarily put on pause, but we will be back soon. So try to pick more positive words to use. And another thing that I suggested to a lot of dentists, and I don't know how many did it, was to do not just disappear on your patients. Keep at least one employee still answering phones. We called, we personally called many, many offices and the recordings that we heard, and I used these recordings and I record them for my training purposes so they can see what they shouldn't be doing. And we heard a lot of voicemails say, I'm sorry, we are closed due to the pandemic. If you had an appointment scheduled, consider it canceled. We will call you back when we're back. And I'm like, oh my God. Not very friendly, eh? You just disappeared. <laughs> and we had so yes, we had so many offices that didn't even have anything at all. The phone just rang and rang and rang. And, and if you disappear on your patients, and if you are not there for them, how is it that you expect them to be there for you? You have to make sure that you either have an answering service that takes care of these calls, that they're still answering during your office hours and that you now reach out and have, if you don't have the time and if you consider yourself above calling your patient because you're the dentist, then have one of your team members do it. But please reach out. Reach out. Reach out. Let them know that you're here. Let them know that you haven't disappeared. Let them know that you miss them. Uh, a sign on social media and saying we miss you is not enough anymore. Because if you don't take care of your patients, the dentist across the street in the other plaza will be more than happy to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you foresee an unfortunate closing of dentist offices as we start opening up again? Yes. And would that be caused by dentists that have not been interacting with their patients during the pandemic? Or is it just that people finally, this is their opportunity to find another dentist? They've always wanted to, but they just never got around to it. But now they will. Both of them are true. And I think that the reason why that we're coming back into a completely different scenario, we're coming back that the amount of patients a dentist will see in order to make the same amount of money is going to be almost double because they're not allowed to have patients waiting in the waiting room anymore. A lot of offices are not set up in a way that they can close them so that they have no spraying of the bacteria or the virus. So they 
have to come and operate in a different manner. A lot of offices now are asking you to stay in your car and they will text you as soon as you're ready to come in. Well, you have seniors. We, we, we think about on a way that we think that everybody can drive. A lot of people actually have people that drive them. They have the government subsidy bus that comes and picks them up and brings them to their appointments. So they have nowhere to sit. There is no car to sit at. They have people that come on the bus. They can't sit on the bus. Where are they supposed to sit? So these are all going to be, they're going to be challenges that they're going to have to address as they go. So now if they saw 13 patients within a half a day, now they're going to be seeing seven patients or six patients within that half a day. So it's going to take them double the amount of time to see the same amount of patients. And not every dentist is available because we have to remember a lot of dentists have families as well. So it's going to be challenging times, if nothing else. But if they want to succeed and they want to come back with a bang and they want to make sure that their patients do not leave them, they have to reach out, not only to their patients, they have to reach out to their team as well. This is the opportunity, as you were saying earlier about patients. Well, it's the same thing for teams. This is the opportunity for them to move on as well. If they hadn't had the guts to move on before, they might have the guts now since they haven't heard from their employer in all this time that they were closed. That gives me a very good idea. And I hope the listeners have also gotten some very good ideas on how to come back in a powerful way so that you can rebuild your business, be profitable, be happy, and, and have a, a very, very effective team to go with you. Now, I'd like to switch the, the discussion more towards your investment approach. This is the Wealth Navigator podcast. And one of the things that we do discuss uh, during the podcast is your personal financial picture, how you handle your your wealth. So give me an idea, Angie, if you can. Do you, do you invest or do you take care of your financial planning yourself or do you use a, an advisor or a bank, a financial planner, a stock broker? How do you handle your wealth? Yes, absolutely. My husband is the one, is the financial guru of the family. So <laughs> absolutely. He ha- we have a financial planner and through our bank. And we definitely don't know if we would be in the situation that we are in financially if we had not done that. Uh, she was an amazing person to be able to lead us down the right path of what our plans were. And my husband, you know, has uh, been very good about diversifying everything. So he has everything in percentages. So he has about 20% in RSPs. He has about another 20% in stocks and investments and about 60% in real estate. And this has all been through the advising of her. Her advisor has been with my husband, so I kind of inherited her. I've uh, been married for a little, about 17 years I've been with my husband, and she has been with him for over 25 years. So that that's interesting. You have divided into three components. They are RSP, stocks, and real estate. When you say real estate, do you mean buying 
multifamily homes like apartments or retail or or industrial buildings? Like, what do you mean by by real estate? Rental property. I see. Uh, Rental properties. Now, are they uh, small units or large units? Small. 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 Interesting. And how do you manage a real estate portfolio? Is your husband the property manager or does he allocate that to uh, a company? He allocates it to a company. They have an investment club between him and a few other friends. So they have a company that does it for them. Good. And uh, I guess they've had a, a very good run if, if they've invested in the Toronto area. Uh, that's terrific. Yes. Now, are you planning to retire at all in the near future or in the next 20 years? Or, or, or are you never planning to retire? What's your long-term goal? I'm going to retire when I'm six feet under. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you you may have heard my logo is never retired because I, yeah. I believe in the same concept. If you have a passion for what you are doing and you have a special skill that you have developed, then, you know, why retire? Um, you're doing what you love doing. Maybe you can take a little bit of time off to, to travel, although... Over the next little while, we, I don't know if we will be able to travel, but you know, you have some ability to do that when you're self-employed. You have the ability to, to make your own time schedule. Well, we did that. We did quite a bit of traveling. We at some point decided that we were going to live in a condo for about uh, seven years. And during those seven years, we traveled quite extensively. So we've been pretty much a lot of places around the world. So uh, now we've decided to buy a house and our project is to renovate it. But um, no, retirement is not anywhere near in my future. If you love what you do, then it's not work. What would you say are some of the biggest influences in your life? It could be events. It could be people. It could be your mother, your father, a friend. What would be your biggest influences? Absolutely my mother. My mother was a single mother uh, when I was growing up because my father had already passed away. So she brought me up on her own and she decided to have me quite late in life. So I was, well, she didn't decide. Actually, I was an oops. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of like, wow, I can still get pregnant. She was about 45 years old when she got pregnant with with me. And uh, she made a very difficult choice. She decided that she wanted me to have better school. So she sent me to the United States to a boarding school. And it was very difficult at times to be there by myself. I didn't speak the language. I was pretty young, but it was the absolute best decision she ever made. It gave me the opportunities that I had. It gave me better schooling and it made me the person that I am today. And I definitely owe it to my mother because she was always, you know, very responsible financially. Did she teach you money lessons? Uh, You struck on an interesting note there. How did you learn your money lessons? Did it come from your mom? Absolutely. Absolutely. She would always tell me, you know, that it's very important. My husband right now takes care of our finances, but that doesn't mean that I'm not not privy to what's going on or that I have no say so in the matter at all. I just 
let him do the research for it. And then we as a couple sit down and make the decisions together. So he never makes any decisions without me. It's very important to be aware of what's going on financially because my mother always used to say that when my father passed away, it was so difficult for her because she didn't know what she was doing. So she had to learn it. So she would always tell me, do not wait until you have to learn it. Make sure that you know every step of the way. Yeah, I couldn't agree with it, with her any more than that. It's terrific advice. One of the rules that I have when a client comes to see us for financial planning or investment management, and if they're married, that is, we we recommend, strongly recommend that both the husband and the wife or the partners come in. Having one only come in is is not correct. One person can do more of the work. That's fine. And then usually that happens, whether it be the male or the female, it's, it's irrelevant. But to have both of them there so they both understand what is happening. There's no broken telephone that one person will begin when they go home and tell their spouse what happened at the meeting. And the advisor should speak to both of them at their particular level. So if one is a novice, they should speak at that level. And then if one is a little more sophisticated, you can obviously tune up the or dial up the the discussion for a more sophisticated individual. But both of them need to be there. So you're right. If one happens to get sick or unfortunately passes away, the other one has to be able to step right up and without a lot of difficulty, take over the management of their investments and their financial planning immediately. So that's interesting. Now, maybe just a final question, because I don't want to take up your whole day. I know uh, you've got a lot on your plate. You've worked in the industry, as you said, for, geez, almost 40 years, and you've been a self-employed individual. You run your own office. You deal with people that are self-employed. You deal with teams that are required uh, in order to make the owner successful and to to treat the patients with with dignity, respect, so that they come back. What advice would you have? And maybe the advice can be geared at two people. One would be, what advice would you have for a young dentist? Like you must have seen uh, numerous young dentists that are entering or have entered the business. What advice would you have for him or her before they started their practice? And then secondly, what advice would you have for a consultant, someone like yourself? And, and I know you want to call yourself a coach, and maybe we should say, what advice would you have today for coaches that are looking to get into the field of coaching professionals? It could be a dentist. It could, you know, doctors, I'm sure have the same issue, but it's not just doctors. My office needs to, to do the same thing. We're not in the medical field. We're in the financial field, but we have to treat our clients well. We have to treat my staff well, etc. So if we could close on that, I would really be happy, Angie. You've been very helpful with the information. And if you could just give us those two answers <laughs> based on your uh, vast experience, I think that would be a great way to close. I would say for the uh, dentist that is uh, thinking of opening their practice and opening, you really do your due diligence, do your homework, do your homework as to what kind of office are you prepared. Now there's, because there's two options. Option number one is to buy a practice that already exists. Now, what am I, let's just say that's the road that I want to take. 
I want to buy an office that already exists. Go in there and make sure that you either hire someone to do a very, very well thought out and planned audit. Because that is the number one thing that I don't see that is being done properly. A lot of the companies, and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of the companies that sell you these practices say that they're doing an audit. But in fact, what they do is they send the forms to the owner to fill out. And usually the owners never fill them out. They have an employee fill out the forms and put in the numbers based on reports that they are running. But they're not really opening charts. Nobody's opening a proper chart. Nobody's doing an audit. And whether it's digital, whether when I say open a chart, whether you're doing it on the computer, if you're paperless, or if you do have paper charts, nobody's opening the chart and really going through it with a fine tooth comb. An average office has about 1,200 to 1,500 patients. An office is doing okay with one doctor. Now, that practice, a lot of times, I'm not saying to go into that practice and start taking out every single chart. I'm saying pick out a good 50 to 70 charts randomly and literally go through each one of them to see what is missing, what has been done, because this is going to give you a clear picture of how the doctor that is selling the practice has behaved in the past. If they have behaved where they're in the point now that they're ready to retire and they haven't kept up their education into what they're doing, new things, in other words, instead of putting a bridge in there that they're doing implants. If you see a lot of extractions, you see a lot of partial dentures in there or other opportunities and you're a new dentist that you know how to do implants, well, that's an opportunity right there. That's an opportunity of seeing all this work that's lacking, if you see a lot of fillings that are amalgam fillings, silver fillings, well, we've now seen that a lot of studies show that amalgam or mercury is linked to a lot of diseases. So we want to get rid of that for the health of our patients. So these are all opportunities that you're not going to see through a report that you're only going to see going in there and looking at the x-rays. So that's one option. Option number two, if you're starting from scratch, do your due diligence as far as seeing what's the population of where you're going to open, how many dentists are within the area that you're going to open so that it can give you a true number of what is the potential of the amount of patients that is going to be your share. So those are the two options. you got to do your homework. Unfortunately, when they go to dental school or to university to study dentistry, they don't give them enough business courses, if any at all. Don't feel that you are capable enough. Hire somebody. Hire somebody to do that. I have done lots of audits for doctors that are planning on opening offices. It's a one-day thing. I go in there, I do a proper audit, and then I give them my best advice to either move forward or not. And so far, everything has worked out very well for the advice that I've given. Now, let me turn the page. We're going to talk about people that want to get into this film. I say, do your homework, work hard, learn the trade, fine-tune the trade. Too many people are spending years working in the front desk or in an office as an office manager. And because that office did well, 
they slap on the title of consultant because they think, oh, I did so well with this office that I am an expert now. That doesn't make you an expert. What makes you an expert is learning more offices. If you want to get into this business and you haven't worked in enough offices, start volunteering. Start volunteering with another consultant that has enough experience. Have your homework done well. Check which consultants are willing to mentor you. Because when you have a consultant that is seasoned, that is experienced, that is willing to mentor you, that is the best thing that you can do for yourself. Many dentists might hire you because you might be charging less because you're just starting out. But what will happen in the long run is that if you cannot produce results, that will get out there. Your reputation of not producing results will haunt you in the long run. You want to make sure that whatever company you start, that it holds up, that your reputation is your word and your word is your reputation. That's great advice, Angie. Thank you very much. I wish you the best, Angie, in your your future endeavors. Hopefully, the pandemic will ease in the near future. You'll be able to see more dentists live face to face, and uh, you'll be able to help them come back as strong as they were before, if not stronger. So good luck in your future work. And thank you for participating in the Wealth Navigator podcast. Thank you so much, Richard, for having me. And I really, truly appreciate your podcast. I've listened to quite a few of them. You give an absolute excellent uh, venue for excellent advice. And I hope that everybody tunes in because you're always giving some great info. Thank you as well. I appreciate the kind words. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a business owner? Check out our blog, Live Well, Stay Rich, and Never Retire at www.richarddree.ca, where Richard covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies specifically for business owners. By subscribing to our blog, you'll receive exclusive member content and complimentary books written by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Get it all now at www.richarddree.ca.